Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. And I are thankful uh, for the opportunities that we have to go home and uh, visit our, our physical family, but we are very thankful to be back here with our spiritual family. And we, we value and appreciate you very much. We're thankful to have visitors with us, encouraged by your presence as well. Open, I invite everybody to open their Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, if they're not already open there. We'll be starting our study there in just a moment. When was the last time that you shared the gospel with a friend or a neighbor? When was the last time that you sat across a dinner table or at a Starbucks or a coffee shop with a coworker or a relative and shared the good news of salvation with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that we should be eager to share all the time as Christians, as disciples. There should be nothing that we love to talk about more. Sharing the gospel is part of what it means to be a disciple. If you remember in Luke chapter 9, when a man comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go, but first let me go bury my father. Do you remember what Jesus' response was there in Luke 9, uh, verse 60. Jesus says, Allow the dead to bury their dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? One of the things that it means is that we be people who go everywhere proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's part of the work that we are called to if we're going to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means being fishers of men, means being a laborer in his harvest. And often we struggle or even fail in this area of our discipleship, not necessarily because of a lack of passion. Uh, Many of us want to share the gospel with our friends and with our neighbors. Sometimes we fail because we feel under-equipped, because we don't know where to begin, because we don't know how to talk with our friends, our neighbors, our relatives about the gospel. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about the growth of the body of the Lord's church, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, that uh, pastors, uh, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are intended to equip the saints for ministry. And so, as an evangelist, part of my role is to help equip you uh, for the work of ministry, uh, for sharing the gospel with others, among other things. And so that's going to be one of the primary goals of uh, a new series that we're going to be starting on our Community Sundays, the first Sunday of each month, is putting some tools in your hands that you can use to share the gospel with your friends and neighbors. We're going to be covering some of the, the basics of the gospel, building up from square one, giving a big picture approach to uh, the, the Bible. And while I hope these lessons will be helpful to anyone who has not obeyed the gospel, who, who is not familiar with the message of Jesus Christ or hasn't met, made that a part of their life, uh, I think it will hopefully in particular be helpful towards those who wish to be better equipped to share that message with others. And so we're going to start today a series that I've entitled Coming to Know God. Um, It is the material that I use generally in in personal studies with other people. 
Uh, and I'm going to be making the, the charts available to anyone who would like to use them. We're, we're going to be going through five or six charts uh, of evangelistic studies to, to share the gospel with others. Uh, and I hope this will at least put one tool in your hand that you can use in, in sitting down with your friends, with your neighbors, with your relatives, your co-workers, and sharing the gospel with them. Uh, this material might be familiar to, to some people here. Uh, I know it will be familiar to some people, uh, but, I, but I hope that it will be helpful as you seek not only to, to uh, re- refresh your minds in, in some of the basics of the good news of Jesus Christ, but also a, be equipped to share that with others. And so we're going to start with the premise here that there is a God. Now, if, if you are studying with somebody who does not believe in the existence of God, we, we need to take a step further back. Uh, and um, in fact, now close to two years ago when we first moved here, uh, I presented a, a few lessons that I normally use and uh, talking about how do I know? How do I know there is a God? How do I know the Bible is reliable? And how do I know it is his word? But here in this series, we're going to start with the premise that there is a God and that we acknowledge that. And we want to start with some very fundamental questions. And I think one of the most fundamental questions that we can ask, that we all need to ask, is what is the purpose of life? Something that applies to, to every single one of us that's breathing. Uh, and it's a question that many people have asked throughout the, the history of the world. In fact, many times if we think about the question, well, what is the purpose of life? We think, well, that's a very lofty philosophical question that you know, philosophers have tried to figure out for, for millennia in the past. But I think if we uh, approach it from the perspective of there being a divine creator, the answer is not that difficult for us to find. In fact, what we need to do is to ask the one who made us. If God is the one who put us here on earth, then the only one who can tell us what the purpose of our existence is, why it is he created us, why it is we're here on earth, is God himself. Imagine for a moment if you and a group of people went into an inventor's laboratory and you saw this elaborate contraption uh, with many different levers and buttons and flashing lights and pistons going up and down and gears turning, And it it was your job as this group of people to try to figure out what it was that this machine does. And you could all go around and maybe one person thinks that it's it's measuring the seismic activity of the earth. Maybe somebody else thinks it's a time machine and somebody else just thinks it's a souped up pizza oven. And, you know, you're all trying to figure out what this machine is. Well, how are you going to determine what it is. I, I think there's one fail-safe way that, that you can determine what that machine is intended to do. You ask the inventor. And that's exactly what we need to do when it comes to the purpose of life. We can all day long speculate about what I think the purpose of life is and what you think the purpose of life is, but there's a very simple solution. We let God tell us why he made us. And to find that answer, we don't have to go much further than the first page of your Bible. Look in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 that we just read together a moment ago. Here we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. What was in God's mind when he created mankind? His intention here is to make man in his image according to his likeness. What does that mean? Does that mean that God has a nose, a mouth, two ears, and two eyes, just like we do? Well, no. John 4 tells us that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is not simply a a physical being. So when we talk about being created in the image of God, we're not talking about our, our physical image. God is spirit, and most foundationally, we are in his image because we're not just physical beings. We're spiritual beings. But I think it's even more than that. Another thing that we can see in this passage is just as God is in authority over all creation, he placed man in a position of authority over his creation. Uh, And in that way, there there is a a parallel uh, relationship. Not only do we reflect God's spiritual nature, we reflect God's position of authority as he has granted man, at least at this time, a certain portion of authority over the world. But I think there's an even more foundational way that we are created in the image of God. And that is that we are created in the image of God's character. Think about it this way. If you had an artist who painted many beautiful landscape paintings and you looked at those paintings, would you be able to tell something about the artist? Well, you could certainly see his talent as a painter. Maybe you could even uh, ascertain his, his view of beauty. But what if that same artist painted a painting in his own image? What do you, what do you call that? A self-portrait. And now when you look at that picture, Can you tell something about the artist? Not only can you see his talent as a painter or his view of beauty, you're going to be able to see his personal characteristics. When God created man, he intended that we should reflect his image, that we should reflect his personal characteristics, that we should be his self-portrait reflecting his character, things such as righteousness and holiness and love and mercy and compassion. What's the purpose of life. I think first and foremost, God intended that we should be mirrors of his character, reflections of his image and of his glory. And so just as all creation declares the power and the wisdom of God, shows us his view of beauty, man was intended to reflect his character in a unique way, to show forth his love, his grace, his truth, his holiness. We are his self-portraits. And we see, we see this concept throughout the scriptures. If you want to turn to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read the very last verse of Ephesians chapter 4, and the first verse of chapter 5. Uh, here in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, we read, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What does God want us to be? He wants us to act in love and kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? 
to reflect the way that he has forgiven us, to reflect his character, to be imitators of God as beloved children. As children, we are to carry on the character of our Father. People should be able to see our Father in us on a spiritual level. And that's what God desires from us as his children. And so when we talk about the purpose of life, I think most foundational, we are intended to reflect God's character, to be his self-portraits, children reflecting his character. But the what of the purpose of life is really the easy part. The how is the more difficult part. If we understand that our purpose is to reflect God's character, we need to come to know God. Can you imitate somebody that you have never met? You know, this illustration may not work for everybody here, but normally when I'm sitting across the table from somebody, they haven't met my father. Uh, Maybe a few of you have. But if I said I want for you to imitate my father and you had never met him before, would you be able to do that? Say, well, I don't really have much to go on here. Well, what if I started describing to you what he was like? And what if I told you that he was exactly like me? Well, then as you get to know me a little bit more and you know my mannerisms and the way I act, maybe you could start imitating my father. Well, that's exactly what God has done for us. God has revealed himself to us. Most foundationally, he has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Here we read, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Nobody has has met God in all of his glory. Certainly God uh, came in different manifestations to communicate with man throughout history. But nobody has truly seen God in all his glory. And yet, the only begotten God, Jesus Christ, came to explain him to us, to show us exactly what he was like. He lived here on earth to reflect perfectly the image of God, to reflect perfectly his character for us, to show us his love, his mercy, his compassion, his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice. We see the same idea in Hebrews chapter 1. By the way, many times when I am Studying with somebody, if they're not very familiar with the scriptures, I'll try to bring a pew Bible along and and have written down what page numbers these passages are on. Sometimes it's difficult uh, for for people to to turn to different passages, uh, and that way it's it's easier to help people follow along. Uh, But we're in Hebrews chapter 1 here. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. How has God communicated to man? Well, in times past, he spoke to the, the fathers, to the patriarchs, in many portions and in many ways through visions and dreams and angels and prophets. But in these last days, in the time of the New Testament, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we see his son's relationship, Jesus' relationship to all creation. In verse 2, he is the heir of all things. He has all authority. He is the creator of all things. But then in verse 3, we see his relationship with God. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, or the express image of his person. Jesus is the brightness of his glory, just like uh, when we see the sun, you, you can't really look at the sun directly for very long. It doesn't work out well for your eyes. Uh, but you can see its radiance. You can see its brightness coming down to us. Uh, Jesus is, is the rays of God's character that are able to, to reach down to us. The express image or exact representation, just like you have a, a stamp and when you put it down, you see exactly what is on that stamp? Jesus is the exact representation of God, of his character, of what we are intended to be. And so we see that God has shown us what it means to live in his image, to reflect his character through the life of Jesus, his son. But we need to ask ourselves the same question that we did before. Can you imitate somebody that you've never met? Has anybody here ever met Jesus in the flesh? Well, no, of course not. Jesus walked this earth uh, 2,000 years ago. None of us have ever met him in that way. And so we're back to square one. How am I going to be able to imitate somebody that I've never met? Well, Jesus promised to his apostles that when he left this world, he would send another to carry on his teaching. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 here, Jesus is speaking to his apostles the night before he is betrayed. He has a very long discourse here after washing their feet in chapter 13. But notice what he promises them here in John 14, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus was going to depart. But that wasn't going to be the end of the story. No, the Father was going to send a helper. He was going to send the Holy Spirit to carry on this teaching so that we could have it. While Jesus reflected perfectly the character of God, the Spirit was going to perfectly preserve that message for us to bring to their remembrance all the things that Jesus had taught them in his time here on earth. We see this concept again um, in John 16, as Jesus is still talking to his apostles here, read with me in John 16, starting in verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore uh, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Here, there in verse 15, we see exactly what we're talking about here. That what the Father gave to Jesus, Jesus gave to the Spirit to give to us. And, and this is not some game of telephone where, you know, may, maybe something's lost in translation here. No, the, these are all equally divine, equally God. They're going to perfectly preserve for us exactly what it is God wants us to know. But here he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Why does he call him the Spirit of truth? Well, because his work is going to be to guide us into all Truth. Everything that we need to know in our relationship with God to fulfill our purpose, to be who God wants us to be, is going to be preserved for us, is going to be revealed for us through the Spirit. That is what Jesus is promising his apostles here. Well, how was that going to be accomplished? In what way was the Holy Spirit going to guide them into all truth? How can you and I today have all of that information that Jesus came to bring us. Well, what we see is that the Spirit, in particular, revealed this through the apostles and prophets. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here Paul is talking about where their teaching is coming from. And he says here in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of the man, except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Let's pause there for a moment. What, what Paul is saying is, no, nobody is going to know your thoughts except for you. And in the same way, nobody can simply read God's mind Nobody knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God with it, which is in him. If I asked you to uh, tell me what I'm thinking of right now, some of you might be able to make a guess, but, but none of you would be able to accurately know what is going on in my head unless I tell you, unless I reveal it. To you. And that's what we go on to read here. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Here, Paul says, God has revealed to us through his spirit, the things that he wants us to know. You know, we, we can't simply guess at what God's mind is. We can't simply read the mind of God and say, well, I, I think that God would approve of this. I think God would like this. I, I like it. I, I think God would like it. Many times we try to do that, but we can't. No, nobody knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God, and yet Paul says, by God's grace, his Spirit has revealed to us his thoughts. And those are the thing Paul says that he is speaking. The things that he is writing down for the Corinthians right then are the very words, the very thoughts of God. 
And so, just as you can't know somebody else's mind unless they communicate it to you, we can't guess at what God desires of us. We have to let him tell us through the Spirit. But who is the we here in this passage? Who is it that is speaking by the direction of the Spirit? Well, Paul, again, talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'd like to turn your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll start reading in verse 3. Here Paul says that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And then in verse 4 he says, by referring to this, by referring to what I have written, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Who was this revealed to? Who was the Spirit working through to bring us this all truth, everything that we need to know? to fulfill our purpose, to reflect God's character, to be who he wants us to be. Here, Paul specifically says, through the holy apostles and prophets. What, what is an apostle? What is a prophet? Well, the word uh, apostolos, the word apostle, literally means one sent out. And when we talk about the apostles in the New Testament, uh, most of the time we're talking specifically about the apostles of Jesus Christ, those who were sent out by Jesus himself. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, we see the purpose for which they were sent out was to witness to the resurrection. Um, and so here are those specifically sent out by Jesus to, to proclaim his message. And then also this idea of prophet Literally, many times we think of prophets foretelling the future. That, that is something that prophets did from time to time. But, but more foundationally, they are simply messengers of God, mouthpieces of God, heralds of his message. And so through the apostles specifically and more generally, the, the prophets um, hear God's message for mankind uh, through Jesus, through the Spirit, was going to be revealed for us. Well, th this might be getting old, but we're back to where we started. <laughs> How many of us have met the Apostle Paul? How many of us met the Apostle Peter? Well, no, we haven't. And so how are we going to know this message today? Well, as Paul already referred to there in Ephesians 3, they wrote down what God was revealing to them so that we can read the mind of God. No, we, we can't read the mind of God in the sense of just guessing what it is he's thinking, but by God's grace, he has revealed his thoughts to us within the scripture in such a way that, brethren, we are able to read his thoughts, to read his mind. What a glorious gift he has given us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Here Peter speaks about where this writing of Scripture is coming from. It says in verse 20 of 2 Peter 1, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
Peter makes it very clear, this isn't coming from me. This wasn't my own thoughts, my own interpretation, my own ideas. The scripture is coming not by an act of human will, not by human initiative, but by an act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved people to speak from God. That's the same word that's used in Acts 27 to describe uh, Paul's ship on the ocean being moved along by the wind. It's, it's as though the, the, the prophets and the apostles opened the, the, the sail of their minds and, and the Holy Spirit here drove them in the direction that he desired for them to go. This is not the product of human minds. It is the product of the spirit and the mind of God. And we see that same idea again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. In verse 16, here we read, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Here, where does this all scripture come from? It said it is inspired by God. Now, we use the English word inspired in many different ways today. You, you might say, well, I was very inspired by the, the scenery that I saw or by this, this painting. Um, that's not the application of this word that we see here. The, the word inspired at its root means to, to breathe into something. Just like expire literally means to, to breathe out your last breath. Um, here to inspire means to breathe in. So we could literally translate this, all scripture is God breathed. He breathed life into it. He breathed out these words from his mouth. And so God's word, the scripture, ultimately comes from his mouth, from his mind. And we are told here it is able to teach us, to reprove and correct us, to train us, so that we may be complete or adequate, fully equipped for every good work. Everything that we need to be who God wants us to be, to work in his service, has been provided for us within the Scripture. And so how is it that you and I are going to fulfill our purpose in life? How is it that you and I are going to, to come to know God to such an extent that we are able to reflect his character, be self-portraits for him? Ultimately, it's by coming to know him through the scriptures. The scriptures given to us through Jesus, through the spirit handed down to the apostles and prophets who wrote it down so that you and I could have it today. If there's anything that we should take away from a study such as this, the, the, the biggest takeaway that, that I want people to, to leave from this study with is how important God's word is. Why is it that I should come back and sit down again and open up my Bible and, and study again? It's because there is no other way that I am going to come to know God that I'm going to be able to fill the purpose for which he has created me unless I start listening to him, unless I let him tell me what his thoughts and what his will, what his character is. I can guess at it all day long, 
but I'm going to guess wrong. If I want to be a self-portrait of God, if I want to be a mirror of his character to reflect his glory, I need to spend some serious time coming to know him. Brethren, the, the scripture is the autobiography of God. And that's the way that we need to read it. As you read through the Old Testament, you read through all these stories, you know, what, why, why do we have all of this? Primarily, God is the main character throughout. He is the protagonist. And we need to, in every passage, every scripture, every chapter, be looking for him. Coming to know him, his character, his will, so that we can fulfill the purpose for which we were put here on earth. What about you today? I hope this lesson has renewed your resolve to reflect God's image and character in your life has renewed your resolve to spend some serious time in the scriptures coming to know him. And I hope that it will also equip you to share some of these thoughts with others. But there may be some here who recognize that they're not reflecting the character and image of God. They look at their own lives we, and we see in the mirror of God's word that there's some areas that I'm, I'm not acting the way that God would have me act. Well, God's word is profitable for reproof and correction as well, isn't it? And if I recognize that there's something that I need to change today, don't leave without making that change. If it's of a public nature that you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren, we can pray to God together. God is faithful and righteous to forgive. God wants to be in fellowship with you. And he has paid the price of his son upon the cross so that you could be saved, so that you could be in fellowship with him. Throughout the the following lessons, we'll talk more about how we failed in our purpose and how ultimately God has provided us a solution through Jesus Christ. If you are familiar with that good news, if you know what it is you need to do today, you can bury the old man of sin, the, the ruined painting, the broken mirror, in the waters of baptism by God's grace. And you can be raised to walk in newness of life. You need to make that commitment today. If we in any way can help you in your relationship with the Lord, that's why we're here. We ask that you'll let us know at this time by coming to the aisle as we sing together.